going to read all of Acts chapter 3, though it is fairly lengthy. I want to thank you for your continued patience with me. Uh, you have been, been very accommodating to my need to leave at 10.15 or so, and uh, you've been really responsive, and I want to thank you for that to uh, the ministries that I've been having week to week with you. So thank you for that. I know that's a, a little unusual, but uh, sometimes unusual times call for unusual Methods. So we're thankful for your, your response. Uh, looking forward to seeing what God will do in coming days and weeks. Acts chapter 3, and uh, I, I'm continuing with you study in the book of Acts, and uh, just want to look at what this wonderful thing that God does in building his church, an extraordinary God building a, a very unique thing called the church of Jesus Christ. So with me, please follow. I'm going to begin reading right at verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter. I occasionally kid at church back in Ankeny Baptist Church. It is okay to read the Bible in church. So this is a whole chapter, and I know that, but it's really good to read the scriptures together. So you follow with me, and I'll begin reading right at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the, the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer uh, to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, uh, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, 
But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would do its work, help us understand, draw us to Christ, draw us to ministry on behalf of Christ. We are so grateful today for this wonderful book. It is living and powerful. We trust you to change us by its power, by this presence of the Spirit. Together we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I remember years ago driving down through uh, the uh, Great Smoky Mountain Range, and as you turn one of the corners on the highway, it was springtime, if you've ever been down there, the rocky sides of the mountains are uh, often filled with rhododendrons that will grow out of the rocky precipice. And we turned the the corner in this wonderful vista of utter beauty uh, came upon us. It was very quick. We didn't realize it was going to happen. It's a little like uh, Peter and John and the others as they have seen what God has done and is doing. They've turned a corner, but they, they really don't quite understand. You see, if you're Peter and John, the other disciples, perhaps the other people who were not disciples but yet followers and believers in Christ, uh, you followed Christ throughout his earthly journey. Uh, You have heard him announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said that through his forerunner, John the Baptist. He himself said, I am your king. And yet you've also witnessed his rejection by both Jews and Gentiles. You've seen him delivered over to Pilate by the Jews, even as has been noted in our text today. You've seen him crucified And you've understood that that was for your sins. You've also seen the glory of the resurrected Christ. And even as is narrated in in Acts chapter 1, you have seen him ascend to heaven and know that one day he will come in like manner. He has promised, Jesus did, remember, he has promised, "If, if I go, I will send another comforter. And so Acts 2 tells in Acts 2.4, the Holy Spirit descending upon the church, that image of the cloven tongues of fire, their 
the Spirit of God indwelling those believers and fashioning, forming what we call the body of Christ, the church. You've seen the great effect of the gospel. Acts chapter 2, we saw that. Thousands of people responding uh, to the message given by Peter. And there has been that formation of an identifiable body of believers. It's the church. And so Peter and John have seen the fulfillment of Christ's words. Behold, I send the promise of my Father to you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are uh, endued with power from on high. You see, the Spirit comes. And so we find the great effect of that upon not only Peter and John, but on those who hear and see. So these 11 have waited. They've chosen Matthias as the succeeding disciple to, uh, to Judas. On the day of Pentecost, the promised spirit has come. 3,000 have come to Christ. And so we noted last week, they devoted themselves steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. God is giving them great favor. And chapter 2 ends, and daily the Lord was adding to the church those who were being saved. And so now the adventure of the church begins. And it's a journey uh, whose eventual destination the apostles really don't know. You'll remember, and I can only encourage you to do a little reading, remember that the church is a mystery from previous ages. It was never predicted or known by Old Testament Israel. Though they were given promises that through Israel, through Abraham, would all of the families of the earth be blessed. They had literally no idea that God judiciously would judge Israel by setting Israel aside for a time. No longer would he deal with humanity through a nation. Now he would deal with humanity by the formation of what we call the church. Uh, People of every background, of Jew and Gentile, uh, of every station of life, of the bond and the free, of men and women, and these would all be made to drink of one spirit, and thus the the body of Christ is formed. We, We would theologically, if you ever get quizzed about this, we would say that the church began at Pentecost with the coming of the Spirit, and ends with the rescue of the church at the rapture of Christ. Those people are the only people described as being in Christ. And so God has begun this great adventure of building the church of Christ. And so you'll find that uh, our chapter begins in Acts chapter 3 with the Oh, oh, let me quiz you. What, what, what time is it? It says about the ninth hour. If, if we know by Bible time, about what time is that in the daytime? Most would say that's 3 p.m. Uh, normally a 12-hour cycle from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So, so they've entered the temple about 3 p.m. And uh, they say that Peter and John are doing what they customarily do. They're going to go to the temple and they're going to there give prayers to the Lord. And near the temple, there is a man lame from birth. He's laid at the gate called Beautiful. And they've, uh, this man has been carried to the uh, temple by others. And so now can you hear him call? I don't know whether you've ever been in a society. I, I can remember years ago traveling to India. 
and being there for a special dedication of a Bible translation for the people in northeast India. Quite literally, we went up into the foothills of the Himalayas, and it was a fascinating trip. But on the way there, I was able to be in Calcutta. And Calcutta is an image that got burned in my, uh, in my, in my brain. It's, a, it's a, an amazingly uh, populated city. I remember a city bus, an open-air bus, uh, literally crammed with people. And people hanging off the outside edges of the door. People up on top of the bus. Literally, it was overloaded by probably twice as many people as should have been on the bus. I I can remember outside our hotel room where we stayed for a day that there was essentially what was just an open pile of garbage in the street. And eventually the, 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 the garbage truck would come by and would scoop up a lot of the garbage, but not all of the garbage. And it was, I, I was just struck by the extreme poverty, by, by the needs of people, uh, just the basics of being able to have food and clothing and shelter. C- can you imagine a, a beggar, uh, lame from birth, sitting at the temple gate, and though it's not in English that he speaks it, but can you hear him cry, alms for the poor? alms for the poor, and he can't get to people, so he he needs to cry out urgently to people. Now, what's the typical human reaction? Uh, The other day, I was coming off of, uh, coming from West Des Moines. I I got off the Second Street exit, was going to turn up towards Ankeny, and there was uh, a man, evidently homeless, with a placard uh, basically saying, money for food and different ones I I had no money to give Uh, different ones even while we were sitting at the intersection gave a couple dollars to this evidently homeless gentleman what do you typically do however when you see that kind of person you did what most of these people do Uh, there were people no doubt streaming into the temple and, and you know what they didn't do they, they, they averted his eyes, they tried to ignore his cries, and they just, just pretend he's invisible. Let's walk into the temple, and we'll ignore this person. Peter and John, however, they don't do that. Our text says, you'll notice it in the verse, he, Peter, fixes his eyes upon him, quite literally. He fixes his gaze. I'm looking at Sean, Mr. Kelly, I don't know how you are known, Uncle Sean or whatever. <laughs> it would be to fix your eyes, on, quite literally. I used to work third shift at an IBM factory when I was working through college. And so I would be one of the few people leaving the factory while the streams of people would be coming in for first shift. And it was always interesting that, that most everyone... Would, uh, would, would avoid your eyes. So I would just play a little game just to engage people by looking. I, I can also remember uh, going to a Buffalo Sabres hockey game. Uh, have you ever heard a hockey game described? I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. That's kind of the way it works with a hockey game. Um, and we were walking up a long ramp and my wife was with me, Debbie, and there, were, there was a man. Now, we men, we can tell when this happens. 
this man began to look at my wife in a way that made me uncomfortable. So, so what I did, I, I grabbed his eyes. Now, not physically, I didn't grab his eyes. But I, but I got his eyes. Uh, I, I'm looking at Sean again. I'll look maybe at someone else for this illustration. And quite, quite literally, I, I, I locked my eyes on him and I followed him all the way until we passed. And I turned my head and he, I, I required him to look at me. That's John and Peter. They, they look intently at the lame man. They, they fix his eyes. They seize what really is an overlooked man. An overlooked opportunity in the name of Christ. They show wonderful responsiveness I think uh, I, I'm often reproved when I walk through the path, through a passage like this to see needy people not as annoyances or distractions to be avoided, but rather to see opportunities of ministry to people. That's exactly Peter and John, and so immediately the the beggar, the lame beggar, is on high alert. He no doubt, however he's collecting whatever alms he receives, he's, I'm gonna, someone's actually going to give me something. And uh, Peter's my kind of guy. Uh, he he uh, replies in quite an unexpected manner. He, now, if maybe the image would be, he turns out his pockets and he has no money. Says, uh, Sir, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have anything material to give you. Now, now do, underscored in your mind, maybe even in your Bible, he says, what I have, I'll give you. What I have, I'll give you. And so, what he has is unique relationship, unique power as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so he says to him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Peter has no money to give. And you understand, even if he did have money to give and gave it, it would not address the real need of this lame man's life. He did give what he had, which was the power and the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And so can you see it in your mind that Peter takes him by the right hand and lifts him up. And uh, uh, it's interesting in this narrative that you'll remember the author of the book of Acts is the physician Luke. He uses a medical term here to describe that his feet and ankles received strength. They were, they were restored. Dr. Luke notes in technical med- medical terms that the lame man is healed. And then can you imagine a man who hasn't walked, who has had no strength whatsoever, he leaps, he stands, he walks and enters. And then the phrase says, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew, oh, this is the beggar that was out at the gate. And they're filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I must pause for a moment. We understand biblically that the, these 
gifts, these phenomenal gifts, the gift of being able to heal someone, were temporary. They were, they were sign gifts to point to the testimony of Christ and that they were only given in the early days of the church in order to allow them to do things that they could not do, particularly without the body of New Testament Scripture. So, so today, we don't have the gift, and I, I wish I did. Uh, often I've been at the bedside of people that are desperately ill, often terminally ill. I wish I had the power in the name of Jesus to grant healing. And that is not mine nor yours. So, so we, we understand there's a, there is a difference. But there also is a sense that the beggar, I want you to understand, is not merely a man who has a physical malady, but he really represents people all around us who, have, who are spiritual beggars, who, who, are, who are people with profound needs, and you'll understand that the eternal need of the soul, the eternal need of the person apart from Christ, is far more dire a situation than even the beggar who can't physically walk. And so the, the idea here is that, uh, that Luke is narrating for us that, that here is the wonderful miracle of God reaching into the life of, of a person, which I think is both physical and spiritual, because he not only walked and leapt, but he went praising God. And you will note that in our text. Here's the man that they had assiduously ignored. I mean, they were steely resolved. They refused to look at him. But now he is jumping and walking and praising God in their presence. A beggar needs God's grace. And so Peter and John give to a lame beggar. Now see secondly with me that God's grace is oft misunderstood. The men of Israel, we are told, marvel at Peter and John. Quite literally, the lame man won't let Peter go, holding on to Peter and John. And the temple crowd runs to them on Solomon's porch they look at Peter and John as if they are magicians. Maybe they're gods, thinking that they had healed this lame man by their own power. And so, you, you, do you hear what Peter says? He says, don't, don't think that we've done this because of our godliness or because of our power. And here is always the case that we should deflect any who would wrongly marvel at the messenger rather than the message. He said, we're, we're, just, we're just human beings. He has not been made well because we were godly. Rather, it was because of the name of Jesus. The, the power that Jesus has and the power that he has given that we were able to heal this beggar. God's grace received oft is misunderstood. Grace, however, is clarified by the preaching of the gospel. Peter quickly halts that wrong thinking because Peter begins to preach. I, I'm reminded, I, I was somewhat, um, I, later on, do you ever have conversations when you, five minutes later after leaving that person, say, oh, I should have said this. 
I uh, traveled this past week to Cleveland, and in doing so, uh, the cheapskate uh, in me won out, so I, rather than renting a car, I just Ubered back and forth, and so I took an Uber ride, and the gentleman was pretty uh, open to conversation, and he was a secular Jew, as it turned out. I said, I'm a Christian, and, and uh, he, he began to ask me about the Middle East and about dynamics there, and uh, later on, I, I wish I'd had more time, because later I thought, you know, I should have been, because he said, it's really terrible what's happened between the Israelis and the Palestinians there. And he, he rather sided with the Palestinians. Now, I've been on both the West Bank and in the Israeli territory, so I know exactly that dynamic of that conflict. I, I wish I had said this, however, to him. I wish I'd said, that's the conundrum that sin creates. Intractable, constant conflict. And only Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming into the world can ever solve that. Now, that's what I wish I had fully said. I said something to that effect. But it's, it's a bit of that idea here that, that what Peter does when given the opportunity, he says, don't misunderstand. It's not by my power that I've done this, but rather now what he does, he sets forth the gospel of Christ. And he does it in very straightforward fashion because he... Now, I've looked at Sean, so let me just, again, I'll, you're just my lightning rod today, Sean. He, he looks at him. Do you notice the, the, the force of the text? Because... He's speaking to the Jews, and he says, you guys did this. You put him to death. You are culpable. You are morally responsible for putting Jesus to death. This was God's plan, but you did it. So you understand the gospel is very confrontational. It doesn't skirt the issue of their wickedness in putting Jesus to death. But he takes opportunity and he preaches the gospel of Christ. So grace is clarified through Peter's preaching. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness that we had made this man walk? We did not do this great miracle. The miracle was done by Jesus. And so he then sets forth this Wonderful message of the gospel of Christ. Whenever we can, especially when people don't understand, explain the gospel clearly. Why did you do so? Why did you reject Christ? Why did you conspire to put him to death? God foretold all these events. And so he encourages them, he commands them to turn to God again. So many times do sinners, you and I, when confronted by God or his servants, become like these people, often stubborn, argumentative, obstinate, hardened in sin. And yet Peter says, here is your solution. You can receive the, the healing power of Christ, just as this beggar did. However, you must respond by faith in Christ. Offer eternal life through Christ, through your verbal witness. Number four, look at our text today that God's grace received makes the beggar rich. and It's almost as if Peter uh, turns the, the, the focus a bit. 
And I want you to meditate on what we, what have we received and what do we have to offer people. I want you to think on that. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, ask yourself the question, what have you received? When you're witnessing to someone, what are you offering them? What is the benefit of the gospel? What is the essence of the result of trusting Christ? And you'll notice what he says. First of all, you need to repent and turn to God. Essentially saying, you, you must trust Christ. But then notice in our text, you will find it, and let me make sure that I'm referring to the specific verses. Verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that now, first of all, that your sins may be blotted out. The, the word literally means maybe, uh, in the, I don't know if, they even do this anymore, but remember in the old days when they used to have chalkboards and erasers. <laughs> it, it's just saying we're going we're gonna to erase every, um, and if you took a big blackboard and just wrote in fine print all of the sins that we've ever committed, I'm sure it would take more than one chalkboard to do that. But here's the, the, the idea that when we repent and turn to God, every sin is forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, when I think about the small, the big, the ugly sins that I've committed now through 66 and 11 twelfths of years, I've committed so many sins, but to think that when I repent and turn to God, trust Christ, He blots out every sin. That you can lay your head on your pillow at night and know that your sins are forgiven and that if you die today you'd be with God you'd live with him in heaven that's a great blessing he says he speaks of the time of refreshing that may come from the presence of the Lord there's the and the image of the word refresh is that cool do you, do you love getting up I think it was John that greeted me at the door do you, do you love the uh, who, who would hate the early fall temperatures of central Iowa I mean, to get up, it was 62 when I got up this morning. It was a little cool on my porch, but I went out and ate my breakfast on the porch because I know those days are fleeing. And just to, just to take, a, take a breath of the cool, fresh air. I even grew up in the day, I, probably they would not recommend it today, but we used to live out in the country. And there was about that around in circumference, there was a a spring and so on a really hot summer day we, we boys after playing ball we'd get down on our bellies and, and we'd lean our face out over the water and you just dip it down and you take a good long drink out of that spring fed pool that's the refreshment have you ever been with someone a really positive and you interacted with them, and, and quite literally, you were refreshed in spirit. You were encouraged. Now, obviously, he's not talking about a human being. He's talking about refreshment from being brought to God. And so that's what happens when we repent and turn. And he says that God would send Jesus, who has preached to you, 
it's interesting that often when we think about salvation, we think about our going to God, but here he speaks about God coming to us, Christ coming to us. And then he says that he would bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And again, here's the image. If you turned on advertising today, for example, if you watch a baseball game particularly, for example, you'd find uh, now, sadly, you'll find liquor uh, advertised as the way to really have fun and the way to really live your life. Uh, everybody's young, life, beautiful in those commercials. Do you understand that the pursuit of that is the way of death? The, the way to really live, the way to really be blessed is when God turns us from our iniquity. He blesses us by literally uh, moving us from our iniquities. So how should we, 21st century people, respond? What, what should we do? And I, I would suggest that we do this, that first we're, we're just like the people to whom Peter and John spoke. We need to repent and turn to God. We need to share what we have with people. I think the great need of Northridge Baptist Church in this moment is the same need of every church in every place. Largely, we are stagnant. We are not growing as we ought simply because we do not share what we have. Uh, do we have any millionaires sitting in the congregation today? Uh, I want you to know there's no millionaires on the platform either. Okay, so we're, we're together in this. We're kind of like Peter and John when the beggar comes to us and says, alms for the poor, and we say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, and we already noted what we have. We, we have forgiveness. We have refreshment. We have Christ who comes to us. We're turned from our sin. And we're able to say, I do have something I can share with you, and that's Jesus. I can share the gospel of Christ with people. Spiritual beggars that we interact with every day need to have what we can share. It's the simple message of the gospel. We would urge them, repent and turn to God. Experience the joy of life with God, this, this perfect soundness. What we have, we give. So the question that I must ask myself is, am I sharing what I have? Are, just in the last, oh, I would say 30 days, who are the people, as God has brought them into your path, that you have deliberately worked to share Christ with them? If you have Christ, you need to share Christ. What we have, we give, which is the person of Jesus Christ, his name, his power. The, the Christ, even as it's described, who's give, who gives perfect soundness to sinners. True salvation is 
what we have and what we share. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, even from a simple text today. Help us to see and understand the glory of who Christ is and all that he means to us. But right here on 6th Avenue or in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, even as we plan our day that we would plan to intersect with those that don't know Christ, because though they may not understand it, they are like the lame beggar. And we have something that we can give, which is the Lord Jesus Christ to them. He can give perfect soundness of soul to sinners. So help us to see that as a great privilege, that we would fix our eyes intently upon people around us and simply share what we have with them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.